There are many positive things we can say about the technology industry, including Ottawa's technology sector. Innovation, global reach, expertise, exciting work environments. But there's a persistent nagging issue that weighs on technology sector. It's the issue of gender equity in the technology workforce. In recognition of International Women's Day, we turn our focus to this important issue. Coming up on Techopia Live. Hello, Michael Curran from the Ottawa Business Journal. Welcome to Techopia Live. This is a regular podcast from OBJ that features executives from next generation technology companies. We want to shine the spotlight on up and comers and we want to keep you established uh, on the established players, all with a goal of keeping you connected and informed about the local technology sector. In today's episode, we're doing something a little bit different than most. Often, of course, we take a look at a company and do a deep dive on that company and what its prospects are. Today, we take a look at an issue, and it's an issue that's been a bit of a persistent problem, to be frank, in the technology industry. And this issue is particularly timely since March 8th is International Women's Day. We've assembled two terrific guests to explore the issue of gender diversity in tech. Each of our guests brings a different experience and a different expertise. Our first guest is a female engineer who has worked in Ottawa for more than 20 years. And our second guest is a noted expert in inclusive HR systems. She brings a global perspective as both a researcher and an academic. So let's welcome our guest now. Our first is Tusha Agampodi. Welcome, Tusha. Hi, Michael. Thanks Good for joining you. us. Tusha, of course, is a currently working as the Director of Engineering at Aurora uh, Solar. Our second guest is Charlotte Karam. Charlotte is a professor in inclusive HR systems and the director of the Executive MBA Telfer School of Management. Welcome to you, Charlotte. Hey, Michael. Hi, Tusha. Great to be here. Yeah, I, I really do appreciate both of you uh, joining the show so we can explore this issue in a little bit more depth and, and specifically to, to dig into what uh, can be done to find some progress on this. Trisha, maybe we'll start with you to, to, uh, to tell us a little bit about your career in tech. It started uh, just over 20 years ago, uh, but tell us more. Yes, a um, couple of decades in there. Um, I did engineering at Carleton, so I've been in Ottawa for, for most of my career. Um, I'll just highlight some of the, the larger stints that I have done. I worked at BlackBerry uh, for about 12 years of my career, first as an engineer, and that's where I moved into engineering leadership. After BlackBerry, I went to smaller and smaller companies. I helped Magnet Forensics start a new engineering site in Ottawa, um, which was exciting and really a privilege to get the opportunity to do that as an engineering leader. Um, and then I got to work at Tread. Um, as a head of engineering, and that's a that was a Series A company building software for the construction industry. Um, and now I'm at Aurora Solar, um, and Aurora is uh, building software that is um, used for designing solar systems. So it's uh, it's great to be in climate tech, especially. Okay. 
that's that's a whole uh, 20 year career uh, boiled down just to just to a few seconds there so appreciate that Tusha. and it just occurred to me that you know we're talking about diversity you've had diversity in your own career whether it's big company small company series a established players so that will certainly factor into some of your answers today uh and we've got our second uh, guest of course is charlotte Karam. charlotte you bring a lot of experience and expertise to the table. You've worked globally and now you happen to be at the uh, Telfer School of Management in as part as a professor, in part running the executive MBA. But tell us a little bit about your experience as it pertains to this subject. Absolutely. So uh, I am an organizational psychologist by training and uh, have done quite a bit of uh, consulting within uh, areas of building more inclusive HR systems. I spent 12 years in the Middle East and North Africa and returning to, to Canada after those 12 years of, of doing research and, and consulting. And this is something I, I have to say is very near and dear to my heart. I've spent um, specifically the last six years building a center that focuses on building inclusive systems um, in terms of recruiting, retaining and promoting women. And one of the key sectors that we focus on is, uh, is, is STEM. Uh, so very excited about the conversation here today and learning from Tusha's experiences. Thank, thanks again, Charlotte. We're really happy you could join us. Uh, so Tusha, let's uh, dive in. So you've worked in uh, technology sector for just over 20 years. Um, you're now leading some engineering team. Give us a sense, uh, kind of 10,000 foot view, as they say, of what you've seen in your years in technology sector as it uh, as it relates to gender diversity. Uh, yes, I think, you know, often when companies talk about um, getting more gender diversity in, one of the first areas we point to always is the pipeline. For, for me, though, I mean, the pipeline tends to be around 20 to 30 percent, depending on where you look. Um, but I think Charlotte was saying, you know, when we previously chatted, that's not always the case outside of North America. Um, I find, though, the pipeline is not the accurate area to look at when it comes to gender diversity. Really, at a company, you have to look at everything from your recruitment process, your hiring, your resume reviewing process, you know, your interview steps, and then look at whether somebody's inside the company you know, how are you supporting them? How are you creating an inclusive environment where everyone can share their ideas? And then what is your promotion criteria? Is there a bias in the promotion process? You can kind of see that if you look at your first level of employees, you know, and you look at the gender diversity at that level, and then you should see, is that reflected all the way through the company? And if it's not, then it kind of points to some bias that might exist at different levels. Um, that, that's an interesting uh, metric. And Tusha, just a quick follow-up question to you. Do you feel that this issue is an important one for most companies? And I know I'm asking you to generalize a little bit, but in your experience over 20 years, has this been a top priority of both you know, CEOs and C-suite people in HR departments? Not always. Uh, I know we've talked about it more recently when it comes to getting diversity, especially because, you know, we went through a period in tech where there's a talent shortage. Everyone's competing for the talent that exists. And um, so I think more and more companies are coming around to understanding that we need more diversity. We need more women to build the best products. Um, we need more diversity of thought to build um, innovative products. You know, there are studies out there that talk about how 
your profit increases with the diverse team, with a diverse leadership team. So I think there's more companies making investments to this now, but not always the right way necessarily. Charlotte, you mentioned that uh, the technology sector has been a particular focus of yours. And there are aspects, you know, when we're talking about this uh, issue of gender uh, equity, uh, there are aspects of the technology industry that might make it uh, more challenging or some peculiarities of the technology sector that we should keep in mind. Tell us a little bit about uh, your thoughts on that. I mean, it's, it's a really great question. Um, and um, there, there are specific peculiarities. I think, Tisha, um, particularly in Canada and in, in a lot of Western economies, the idea of encouraging more and more uh, girls and women to study um, STEM, study technology, is, is one particular uh, peculiarity. Um, but I think within within Canada, I've, I've been you know familiarizing myself more and more with the Canadian Canadian. Um, tech industry. And what's really interesting to me is there was this report that came out last year by Information and Communications Technology Can uh, Council of Canada. And they they indicated that although Canada, 47% of the total workforce in Canada are women, that women in tech is less than 30%. Um, and this has been stagnating over the last 10 years. They also said, they also noted that this, as Tusha, Tusha noted when she was speaking earlier, that this becomes more difficult when you start to think of multiple identities. So um, women who come from Indigenous communities or, or, or Black communities or people of color, so the BIPOC communities. So when you, when you think about that and you start thinking about what is specific about tech and what are the peculiarities that are blocking so the, the pipeline or that are creating contexts where um, women can't get in or can't move up or leave the workplace because of certain re retention. It boils down to very, very similar things, which is to what extent are the decision makers within the organization committing to um, thinking about the ways in which barriers, the ways in which stereotypes are are shaping the culture of the organization or shaping the sector. So, you know, just one basic question in the, uh, that I, that I want to throw it out there. What are, you know, we, we've learned and, and read a lot about al algorithmic biases in, jo in on job boards. Um, we, we learn about social media biases, tal biases in talent acquisition software, you know. So how do we begin as decision makers to take these seriously, not just check the box, but actually do things structurally um, to use the the, tech, the knowledge on technology to actually improve the HR systems within our workplaces. And I wanted to ask you, Charlotte, one of the things when I reflect back in my time in reporting in the local technology sector, one of the things that differentiates it is this boom and bust cycle, right? So I came on board at OBJ in 1999. We were in the middle of a boom. We went into a bust went into a little bit of a winter period, went into another boom, maybe it's a little bit of a downturn right now. Does that type of uncertainty in terms of the sector, do you think it's discouraging um, some women from considering a, a, a career in the technology sector? It's, I think I think it's quite discouraging for, for any individual who okay. who needs to, um, you know, support their family, have an income, you know, this is this boom and bust. But I would flip your question and ask, is there who's the first out the door when the bust happens? Who do we let go of? 
um, it, it, it may tend to be the, the more junior individuals in the organization. It just so happens demographically that we have more and more women entering who are the more junior in the organization. So there might be an indirect discriminatory effect that happens when a bus comes around. Okay. Listen, we're just starting to get into this conversation, but I want to press pause for a second to recognize the sponsor of this episode. It happens to be the University of Ottawa Faculty of Engineering. Here's their video. One of the major sources of talent for the region's tech sector is the University of Ottawa's Faculty of Engineering, which is one of the supporters of Techopia Alive. The faculty is home to more than 6,000 students and offers a co-op program that's consistently ranked as one of the best in Canada. Supported by a staff of professionals helping with the onboarding process, these undergrad and graduate students are frequently hired by local tech firms as co-op students, invited back for subsequent work terms, and then hired on as full-time employees after graduation. If your company is growing, you'd be remiss not to consider the talent that's emerging from the University of Ottawa's Faculty of Engineering. You can learn more at engineering.uottawa.ca. All right, we're back talking about gender equity in the technology sector. Tush, I'd like to return to you. You've had uh, such a, a successful career from my reading of your LinkedIn profile. There's been kind of some progress in terms of seniority. And I think uh, you've had some, uh, you'd have an opportunity to build your own engineering teams and uh, uh, hopefully sh hopefully aim for more diversity. Can you tell us about your experience uh, in that uh, regard? Sure, yes, I think, you know, I learned a ton about this when I was helping Magnet Forensics build their office here because um, the company was new to Ottawa. Folks in Ottawa hadn't heard of the company. So right off the gate, I was running into how do I recruit talent to want to join my company? And at the same time, I was looking back at my own career experiences, thinking back to BlackBerry about what kind of teams that I really enjoy working on, you know, and what kind of team do I want to build? So I read a lot of studies as well about like what makes a great team, what, and Google had done some studies on, you know, what the components of the best team and they talked about the psychological safety that's required and the diversity of thought um, having read all of that i had a pretty good idea of like i need to build a diverse team so i looked at where do i have to go to recruit diverse talent you know i read about um really just diversifying your pipelines by changing where you look for talent you know of course we we get students coming in from, you know, Carleton and New Ottawa. I also wanted to go to colleges as well, because I read that if you're new to Canada, for an example, and you're coming from another country with another degree already, sometimes, you know, um, these individuals might take a smaller uh, course at a college to get Canadian education experience. So even just by changing where we looked, we were already starting to diversify our pipeline. And then I looked at our job postings to see, you know, how do we change our job postings? What kind of words do we have here? Are we sending the incorrect message to everyone who might self-select out? Like what requirements do we have listed? You know, because there are studies that talk about women um, will only apply to a job if they hit 100% of the requirements. You know, so being really thoughtful about putting requirements that are actually required and everything else is a nice to have. Um, and then looking at the culture internally, what kind of team events do we have? You know, do we have, um, are we just going out for 
the brewery events or, you know, which that's not unheard of. Like when I worked at Blackberry, often I was the only woman in the team and often you would go out for beer at the end of the day. And, you know, it's something I had to adjust to. So I wanted to make sure we created a culture that was a little more inclusive um, so that when I did bring in the diverse pipeline, they wanted to stay, you know, and then looking at your promotion criteria to make sure that it's, it's clear to everyone how we assess your performance and that it's equitable. So and those are six examples. And where, I was just jump in and say, were you successful, Tush? Just because those to me sound like wonderful ideas and to increase the pipeline, encourage people to advance the organization. Did you experience success in building a more diverse team than you had ever witnessed before? Yes, I'm, I forgot to add. Yes, I'm really proud of what we built here. I was there for four years and um, it was an entirely engineering team. And the diversity of her, the gender diversity when it comes to women were about 40% of the team, which is, you know, not something I had seen before, but it, it was really important to me because I speak a lot about how much I care about this, but I really wanted to um, set an example of it as well to show that it can be done if you, if you do all of these things. And just another quick follow-up was, so you've worked on teams with um, a less gender equity. You built a team that was around 40%. Did the team uh, behave or perform differently? Uh, I would like to think so, for sure. You know, we were launching some new products for the company um, that were very successful, went on to be a, a huge sector, the enterprise sector that the company went after. And a lot of those products were actually launched here very successfully with like, and we continue to deliver with high quality, you know, innovative products. So there was that, but on top of that, um, the feedback we were getting from the team members who were there, they were sharing thoughts on how they felt like their opinions were heard and respected equally and where they felt like, especially when it came to sharing diverse perspectives, you know, that's where the psychological safety is really important. It's easy to be in a room and share the same, same opinion and agree with each other. But really what we're trying to create is an environment where you can share different ideas with each other and disagree and then still like each other at the end of the day. And um, there was a ton of feedback I got from the team there about how that environment supported them. That's excellent. Thanks for sharing that. Charlotte, and of course you bring all sorts of expertise to this discussion. Um, uh, when Tusha listed, you know, broadening the, the uh, recruiting process, looking in different spots, so checking language on, on resumes, making sure uh, you know, they're the, um, the requirements, only the bare minimum requirements are there. So people don't exclude themselves. Anyway, my, my question to you, Charlotte is, uh, you know, what are some of the other key considerations that a technology company needs to think about if they want to increase their gender diversity? So I think, um, just building on what Tusha says, I could, couldn't agree more. And, um, I think, I think there are two things, if I were to like boil them down, I would say two things. One of them is about pay and the other one is about dancing. So I'll start with the pay one. Um, the pay one, you know, there's still a huge pay gap uh, between men and women in technology and in other sectors as well. There was a recent study um, by Toronto Metropolitan University um, in their center for, I think, innovation and entrepreneurship. And they, and they indicated that of, of, in, of, uh, of uh, people graduating with a university degree entering into the tech sector, there's about a $19,000, almost $20,000 pay gap between females and males, 
almost $20,000 pay gap, right? Um, and so fair pay, equal pay for equal work is still something that we're struggling with across sectors, but particularly within tech, and we really, really need to keep that in mind. The second one, as I said, is about dancing. And what I meant by this, uh, I was in a talk uh, the, a couple weeks ago, and and um, a, a woman named Dr. Dr. Dao, Lena Dao, said something really, really, I think, provocative. She said, when you're working on diversity, the key consideration is that it's not about inviting people to the party. It's about inviting people to dance. And so you may have a diversity protocol or agenda as a decision maker. Maybe your key um, key consideration to have representation from people from different groups, but that's not enough. What what then? What you need to do is think about how are you engaging people in a way. Just as I mean, Tusha is like wonderful. Everything she said because that's really about inviting people to dance with you, creating a psychologically safe environment, being able to have people freely express, being being sure that. Um, the, the mechanisms within your organization, whether they're cultural or norms, or whether they're about a promotion or being evaluated, that they are uh, in a place where people feel safe, they feel respected, and they feel that they're, 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 they are getting what, um, what, what they deserve as an equal contributor to that environment. So create a dance and, and uh, it's not just about it, the invitation itself. And a final thing I'll say is that it's really important, you know, and I think a lot of them is, is, is summarizing or adding a little bit to what Tusha said. Definitely diverse pipeline needs to be a, t a top priority. Um, having the fortitude to confront subtle discrimination when you see it in a way, in a non-threatening way, but in a way that's authentic and real. Leveraging, as Tusha said, leveraging diversity to try to increase the business performance, the innovation and so on. Um, and, I, and I just would, would want to add one last thing, which is training. A lot of this stuff is new to all of us. And you may, we may hear about it, we talk about it, but real, real um, leadership development training to really think about the nuances of bringing diverse education systems, diverse cultures together, it doesn't often doesn't come very naturally. And, and you know, people need to learn. And it's an ongoing learning process for all of us. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for that. To, That's like the, the thought. That? Yeah. Yes, please, Tusha, jump um, in here. 100% um, so much training because, you know, some of the work I do as a leader is because I have gone through lived experiences of this, so I know what that's like. But, you know, at a company, not all of your managers are going to, to know that or have the lived experiences. So what can you do as an organization to train everybody so that they create that inclusive environment? And it's hard work every single day. You know, you have to walk into a meeting and and look around to see who's represented, who's underrepresented, and then figure out who are you hearing from in this meeting and who are you not hearing from. And I think as an organization, like if you're gonna invest in diversifying your pipeline, if you don't invest in actually building an inclusive environment where everyone's ideas are heard, you're just wasting your money anyway because those people are going to leave. You know, So really financially, you have to invest in both of those things. And training your frontline managers, like Charlotte said, is really key to making sure that that the all of the conversations that these team members are having um, are respectful, but also um, that you're able to you know highlight or call out something and be allies for each other. If if something is said in a way that's not appropriate, or if someone's being interrupted in a call, or someone's ideas are you know not heard the same way, 
it's important that we find a respectful way to continue to improve that. Tusha, uh, let's stay with you. You know, one of the ways to address uh, this issue and, and gain some progress on it is to uh, increase the number of uh, girls and young women entering STEM programs. You've gotten involved in that. It sounds like you're quite passionate about it. Um, tell me about what you've learned in, in some of that work. Yes, I've been doing some of this um, with Carleton University when they take um, their engineering department sometimes does visits to high schools um, to talk to, you know, young, everybody about um, what uh, we do in an engineering department and what you could do with an engineering degree. And I've been doing some visits with them because um, I understand that especially for young girls, it, they, they self-select out from an early age, you know, when you, when you get to grade nine, engineering isn't uh, an area that they would automatically consider compared to the boys. And, you know, some of it, I think we should train our school counselors more as well. When it comes to software or engineering, how do we convince more girls to just consider it? You know, and I've heard that examples are really important in this. Um, if you talk to uh, young women who do consider engineering, a large number of them say that they do this because they've had a family member or they've had a close relative who has talked to them about engineering or who is already working in this sector, you know? And that's not, in, for me, I'm trying to think of like, how could we increase that number? Because that's not scalable if we only focus on folks who have family members who go into software or engineering. So how can we get more examples of women or men who have who are working in this field who can go and talk to these young girls about the kind of impact you can make with software the impact you can make in tech um, to really just just broaden their view just give them examples and then it's up to them to decide but we just want to show them before they they decide against it uh, we'll we'll start to wrapping up here slowly although we get still have more time we'll go to you charlotte but just one quick question with you Tusha. i just want to touch base with you on this issue do you feel we've actually made some progress in the course of your career you you know you graduated from uh, engineering school about 20 21 22 years ago is it a better situation now i'm i just want to check on that fact with you it's, it's a hard one to answer because i don't want to say no because I, okay. I like to be hopeful okay but like charlotte said we're not, the numbers aren't moving. They've okay. been pretty stagnant, you know, over the last decade. That being said, I'm hopeful that, I think the companies are starting to understand the need to create an inclusive environment on top of diversifying their pipeline. So I have seen movement in that for sure, but I do think we have a long way to go. Yeah, I, I, I get the tone that you're trying to, uh, to strike there. And Charlotte, again, I'm not, not trying to be overly negative here at all, but I think of technology companies as being innovative and progressive. It's a little frustrating, isn't it, that we're still talking with this issue and no one's quite sure how much progress has been made? Yeah, uh, I think it, I think um, I, I want to adopt the same tone as Tusha. So there, there has been concerted efforts to begin to move in that direction, the extent to which they've been implemented authentically is, is another question. So you see a lot of people, a lot of tech companies signing on to ESG reporting and, you know, sort of checking those boxes on diversity. But, you know, just to, to again, I think, reiterate what, what, what I understood Tusha saying, um, there really needs to be more efforts within the companies to push the agenda quicker. 
um, and and to really have structural change in the way that the company is operating to create that belonging environment and that and that fair environment. And I think we have a have a long way to go. I just wanted to add one other thing too. So so if you look at women in engineering um, or, or or in other STEM 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 uh, specializations, you see that. Uh, in, in Western Europe and in Canada and the United States, you, we're trying to encourage more and more women into into those sectors. However, if we look globally, you see that um, in, in in many parts of the world, there are a number of women graduating almost at 45, 50% from engineering, from math, from chemistry, and so on and so forth. And so, so really, if we want change, employers need to lead the change. It is about access to employment and retention on employment that's going to change the landscape. It's not just about education. When we can graduate engineers, we need more of them. But once they're out, what happens to them? And if it's a, it's a fair and equitable environment, that's going to be the cycle of change. I hear you on that point. And even you're employed at a university and you know, you're, I'm sure you're encouraging a lot more um, uh, gender equity in programs like engineering and math and sciences. But at some point, once the graduates are out there, it's the companies that need to prioritize that level of change. Exactly. Okay, so uh, we're going to wrap up. Our lead sponsor here at Techopia is EY, and their slogan is uh, is a very noble one, I think. It's building a better working world. And uh, Tusha, I was going to ask you to start by reflecting on that. It seems like this whole issue is building a better world. But when you hear that slogan, Tusha, you know what do you what comes to mind? Um, yes, I guess two things. Um, I would love. To, for us to get to a place where everyone has equal access to opportunities, because that's, that doesn't exist right now. And then I think if we could all have compassion for people whose um, opinions are different from ours, um, I think that, that would really help too for us to learn from other people's lived experiences and um, be able to understand diverse perspectives. That certainly sounds like a better working world to me. And Charlotte, I want to give you the same opportunity. If you think of building a better working world, what does that? Uh, what comes to mind? I think. I think uh, for me, from from working with employers, I think what comes to mind is that employers uh, and decision makers within organizations have a lot of possibility and opportunity to make changes. So we can build a better world by taking more responsibility to change the structures where people work and uh, removing that responsibility from the individual to figure it out to us as employers, creating that safe space um, and that, and that empathetic space and that fair space. It's a great vision too. Uh, listen, Tusha and Charlotte, I want to thank you very, very much on this uh, week that includes international women's day for being part of this discussion. I hope people, uh, hear what you've said, uh, think deeply about it, and, and most importantly, find a way to push this uh, issue forward and, and gain some real progress. So thank you both of you for everything you're doing to advance this issue. Thank you, Michael. Thanks, Michael and Charlotte. Thank you, Tusha. Hope to see you soon. All right, so we're going to start wrapping up here. We want to take a look at some of the other great companies that champion our Techopia project. Techopia is brought to you by many great sponsors, such as EY, building a better working world. Number Crunch, offering virtual CFO services for SaaS companies. Pearlie Robertson, Hill & McDougall, 
a leader in business and technology sector law, TD Bank, specialized programs for technology companies, the University of Ottawa Faculty of Engineering, creating the next generation of technical talent. Techopia is not only a podcast, we post new articles daily at obj.ca slash techopia. And if you're on YouTube, please subscribe and click the bell icon. All right, a big thanks to Tusha and Charlotte again. Uh, they certainly gave us lots to think about uh, this International Women's Day week. And I want to thank you for watching or listening. Listen, before I let you go, I wanted to point out that um, Techopia is launching uh, its uh, first ever magazine. So that's right. We've uh, started months ago at envisioning a project that would kind of zoom out on the local technology sector to provide a little bit more context and statistics and a look at some of the trends that are at work. We do, of course, day-to-day -day coverage of the technology sector, generally on a company level, uh, but we thought that uh, a magazine like this would really help out. So it's launching uh, this week, and you'll be able to find it uh, both in printed copies, digital editions, we'll be repurposing some of the content on obj.ca. So thank you for tuning in again. We hope Techopia is keeping you connected and informed. Let's keep building Ottawa's technology utopia. That's Techopia. See you soon. Bye-bye.